show growing up. Let's Make a Deal was the best game show. I loved Monty Hall. He had great hair, right? We loved him. If you didn't see the show, there's a show where contestants were given a prize, and they had a prize in their possession, but Monty would come along, and he'd, he'd make an offer. And he'd say, hey, I'll give you what's behind door number one for what's in your hand. And the contestant would have to decide, would they, are they willing to give up what they had in their possession for maybe a much more valuable prize that would be under a box somewhere or behind a curtain or behind door number one. And the, the contestants would just grind over the decision. It was great tension, great drama in 1970s and 80s television. It was awesome. Yeah, you had to see it. Well, I, I could tell the way you were glued to the TV. It was just so good. Right? It's a great show. The problem was, if you, if you made a bad choice, because it wasn't always a more valuable gift, wasn't an exotic vacation or car behind door number one each time. Sometimes it was a booby prize. It was a worthless gift, and then the, the poor contestant would ho have to go home with this worthless gift and some cheesy parting gifts, right? And they were embarrassed and ashamed, and the whole audience would have this collective groan when they would get zonked, was the word back then. But I'll tell you what, great drama, great tension, because it was all on the contestant while they were making this big decision. And there were some bad deals. We watched some really bad choices, but I'll tell you what, none of them, none of the deals I saw in countless hours watching this cheesy show compares to the bad deal that we're going to read and study and learn from today right out of Scripture. There's a really bad deal that this guy Esau made, and it doesn't compare. It is far worse. It might be the worst deal in history, but you and I, we are going to learn from it this morning. He made the worst trade ever. You might be familiar with the story. If you've gone to church when you're a kid or a VBS, you're probably familiar with the story, but I'm convinced there's more truth in that story than we have parsed out of it. And so we're going to learn from Esau today. I, I tell you about Esau because I've never heard a sermon preached on Esau. There's a couple Sunday school lessons, but never a sermon. People love to preach about Jacob, his more well-known twin brother. In fact, I will tell you that I was watching a sermon series on Jacob by a guy down in Charlotte, North Carolina. His name is Stephen Furtick, one of my favorite pastors. I love him. He's a great preacher. And so I heard him talking about Jacob, and he referred to Esau a couple of times in this series, and I got fired up to teach about Esau. Because I'm convinced that you and I can learn something from Esau that will help make our life count. We are going to learn from his bad decision so we can make good decisions. In fact, I'm convinced that there's some principles in this passage, in this text, principles for you and I so we can make smart decisions, so we don't make the same disastrous decisions as Esau did. So we can make good decisions to invest our one and only life. So I want you to turn with me in your Bible to Genesis chapter 25. In your Bible or device, Genesis chapter 25, we're going to read about an account of Isaac and Rebekah's two sons, these twin boys, Esau and Jacob. I'll remind you that Isaac is Esau and Jacob's father. Abraham is Isaac's father. If you know anything about, like, kind of Bible history, Abraham was the one that God promised he was going to make a father of many nations. He's going to have countless descendants. That was the promise to Abraham. That is Esau's and Jacob's grandfather. So we're going to, we're going to look at them. And what you, what you probably know is that the Jews, the people of God, have been forever known 
as the, God refers to himself even as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Three generations. Well, back to Genesis 25. And we're going to start in verse 19, but I'm going to summarize real quick for a couple of verses. Abraham has this son named Isaac. Isaac marries a woman named Rebekah, but she can't get pregnant. 20 years, no kids. So they pray and they continue to pray. And finally, God gives Rebekah a child. She gets pregnant. We pick up the action in verse 24. When the time came for Rebekah to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red. And his whole body was like a hairy garment. Yeah, you should giggle. That is weird, right? That is totally weird. And remember, this is a true story. It's not like, we say, oh, it's a Bible story. No, it's a true story. This really happened. Imagine being barren for 20 years and your first child comes out all red and wrinkly. That's rather normal. But hairy all over like a hairy garment. I got to tell you, I was there for my daughter's birth. Kind of freaked me out, but it wasn't quite like this. I, I, I watched my daughter Kate emerge, and she had this shock of dark black hair, a lot of it. And I'm like, whose kid is that, right? Is that my kid? I was like, that better be my kid, right? And I, she came out, and I just wasn't expecting it, and all this hair, and it was like, I'm black. I said, what is going on? Now, she soon lost all that hair and went blonde. But I'll tell you, at the time, as the father, as the parent, freaked me out. Totally shocked me. And it was hair just on her head where it should be, right? This guy comes out, he's red, and his whole body's like a hairy garment. I'll tell you what, it made an impression on the parents. You know how I know? It's the rest of the verse. So he comes out, his body was like a hairy garment, so they named him Esau. You know what Esau means in Hebrew? Chewbacca. No, actually... I heard it in the second row here. You know what it means? Harry. These Hebrews, they're not real original with their names. I mean, they're very descriptive, but not original. Harry. They see, go, like, man, the guy, kid's Harry. Let's call him that. It's exactly what they did. Back to verse 26. It continues on. After this, his brother comes out with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So they named him Jacob. You know what Jacob means? I'm not making this up. Heel grabber. Yeah. Heel grabber. Again, these Hebrews, not real creative with their names. Verse 27. The boys grew up and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. It's amazing how two kids can come out of one womb, same DNA pool, and be totally opposite, totally different. Right? Here's Esau, red, hairy, outdoorsman, hunter, Sort of a duck dynasty kind of guy, right? And then here's Jacob, smooth, content to hang around the tents. Think about that, right? Kind of a homebody, a bit of a mama's boy. Maybe a little bit of a Nancy, maybe, right? Likes to hang around the tents. Think of it this way. One likes to kill the food, the other likes to cook it. That's the two brothers, right? So now we get to the passage that I want us to camp out in for just a couple minutes this morning, starting in verse 29. So once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country, famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. Jacob replied, first sell me your birthright. First sell me your share of the inheritance. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is a birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. First. 
So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank and then got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. That account has to be an account of the worst trade in history. I want you to think about it. Esau traded his entire inheritance for a crock of stew. His birthright for a bowl of beans. That is a bad deal. It's a downright embarrassing trade if you're Esau. A pathetic lapse of common sense, good judgment, and estate planning. I mean, you realize what he gave up. Do you realize what Esau has done? Esau's father, Isaac, was a wealthy man. He was set to inherit the estate along with his brother Jacob. Get this. He doesn't get 50% of the estate. Being the firstborn, he gets a double portion. He's getting way more than Jacob. And yet this guy trades it for a bowl of lentil stew. He gave it up for a single meal. I mean, how foolish is that? That is ridiculous. That is pathetic. In fact, you should turn to your neighbor right now and say, that is a bad deal. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, you gotta say it with some, come on, some enthusiasm. That is a bad deal. Ridiculous deal. Pathetic deal. I mean, what was Esau thinking? And I don't tell you the story to beat up on Esau. <laughs> I actually tell you the story because I fear that you and I are so much like him. See, that's the truth. That's why I hate this story. Because I see myself in Esau. I think you may too. Because you and I, we make similar decisions that Esau has made every day. They're a little more subtle, a little less obvious, but I'm here to tell you, you make the same kind of decisions probably every day. And that's a real problem if we want our life to count. That's a real problem if we're trying to make our life impact this globe, this world for Jesus. So I want to I tease out a few principles from this well-worn story so you and I don't repeat the disastrous decisions of this firstborn son. Sound good? Let's do it. So first takeaway, first principle from this well-worn story for you and I this morning is this. Do not confuse growing older with growing up. Do not confuse growing older with growing up. You know what I'm talking about. We all know people who have never grown up. Think about it. The guy who wants, he's more concerned with mastering his video games than getting a real job. Or the guy who ditches his wife and family every weekend because he's got toys and hobbies and buddies. Or maybe it's the woman who, rather than dressing her age, dresses to impress her daughter's boyfriends. You know what I'm talking about? These people have not grown up. We all know some people like this. Do not confuse growing older with growing up. They're very different animals. Answer me this one. Did Esau really ever grow up? By this account, I would say, give that man a door prize. He's a good man. I am just thankful you're not sleeping up there. That's beautiful. Awesome. No, he didn't grow up. Look at the text. It's so ridiculous. Look at his interaction with his twin brother. Quick, give me some stew. I'm famished. He sounds like a demanding, impulsive 10-year-old who needs a snack after school, doesn't he? Sounds like a petulant child. It's ridiculous. It gets worse. He becomes an incredible drama queen. I'm famished. I'm about to die. I'm so hungry. Really, Esau? Really? 
I'd be like, how old are you? That's a good question. How old do you think he is in this passage? 18? 20? Maybe 25? Maybe. You know how old he is? He's over 50 years old. He's over 50 year old, years old when he puts on this tirade. What a wuss. I mean, what an immature baby. You know what? Do not confuse getting older with maturity. It's not the same thing. In fact, Esau is an immature 50-something. You, you know where we see this? You know when we see this mo- most often in adults, this immaturity? It's hinted in the text. Look back at verse 27. Esau became a skillful hunter. See, quite often, people who are highly skilled and highly gifted in a certain area don't mature and don't grow up in all areas of their life. See, their, their giftedness carries them. And so they don't have this need to mature and become this well-rounded adult. You, you, you know when you see it most obvious? Think of prof- young professional athletes. Highly skilled, great in their sport, but you know what? Kind of immature, lack some sense in other areas. Why? Because their giftedness carried them. Here's the problem. Once they leave their gifted area, they make disastrous decisions. They make really bad mistakes. Do not confuse giftedness with maturity. Do not confuse getting older with growing up. But the truth is, it's not just pro-athletes. Skilled businessmen, professionals, educators, counselors, pastors, you can, you can grow older without growing up. And their lack of maturity and character can sabotage their relationships, their future, their legacy. If you do not mature as a whole person, you can be dangerous and do some real damage. So to the highly skilled, highly talented with us, I give you this warning. Do not confuse your giftedness with maturity, with character. Some of you need to grow up. You want to make your life count? You need to grow up in areas of character and personality and Christ-likeness if you want to make your life count. Second takeaway from this passage, second takeaway for this morning is this. Do not let your unsatisfied appetites drive your decisions. Do not let your unsatisfied appetites drive your decisions. I mean, think about this. How would this trade look to Esau if he wasn't famished? I would just think for a minute, right? If his appetite was satiated, if he was full, do you really think he'd make this decision? Really? A single meal for his inheritance? His birthright for a bowl of beans? I don't think so. You know what the problem is? Everything looks good when you're famished. Everything looks good when you're really hungry, doesn't it? Stuff you wouldn't even consider eating looks very tempting when you're famished. Tofu burgers. Very tempting when you're hungry. Lima bean casserole. Irresistible when you're famished. I'd give my 401k for a sleeve of saltines when I'm famished. See, when you're hungry, your decisions, your, your thinking is out of whack because your, your appetite is driving your decision. And you're dangerous. You have bad judgment when your appetite drives your decisions. You know, 
Some of us who try to lose weight, sometimes we try to starve ourselves during the day. You starve yourself. Although any, any weight coach, any trainer would tell you that is really stupid. Do not starve yourself if you want to lose weight. You know why? Because you'll starve yourself during the day. And then around 8, 30, 9 o'clock at night, you know what happens? The food in your refrigerator starts to call to you. Not the carrot sticks, but the carrot cake. Right? Not the yogurt, but the yodels. And what happens is your appetite makes some disastrous decisions on your behalf. Your judgment is skewed when your appetite is not satiated, when it's out of control. And most of us, most of us, our appetite for food is the least of our worries. It's the other appetites that destroy us. If you have an unsatisfied appetite for affirmation and acceptance, you will do almost anything. You will go to almost any length to prove your value and worth, both to others and yourself. You are dangerous. If you're trying to get your affirmation and worth, if you've got an appetite to be affirmed, you're going to make some dangerous decisions. If you have an unsatisfied appetite for love and intimacy... Man, you are a sucker. You, are, you will settle for cheap counterfeits every time. From romance novels to internet pornography. It starts to look good. You know why? Because you're so hungry. Your appetite's out of control. And you think that would satisfy. Your judgment's off. You know what happens? The arms of another woman looks good when your appetite's out of control. The arms of another man looks good when it's not satisfied. You know, some people are silly enough to actually entertain the thought of going onto your social media and reconnecting with an old high school boyfriend or girlfriend. You know why? Because it looks good when your appetite's out of control. It's ludicrous. It's stupid. It's moronic. If you had a, if your appetite was satiated, you'd never think that. But when it's out of control, you'll entertain some ridiculous notions, some dangerous decisions. When your appetite's not met. If you have an unsatisfied appetite for power and esteem and status, you know what happens? You will use people and abuse privileges and destroy relationships in your quest for more because your hunger drives you. You're dangerous. You're out of control. I'm here to tell you that unsatisfied appetites lead to disastrous decisions. And there's only one way to get these appetites satisfied. And I know you've heard it, but I'm going to tell you again. It is a relationship with your creator. It is a relationship with the God who made you. You want to have this, you want to be affirmed. You want to be accepted. You got to go to the one who put value and worth in you. He'll affirm you. He'll accept you. He'll fill that void of yours. He'll satiate that hunger you have for affirmation. You, you desire, you out of, you're out of control for love and intimacy. The only way to fill that one is to know the love of God, is to know the one who created you and know his love. And then you won't settle for cheap counterfeits. You won't be a sitting duck for the smut and junk and stupidity that you're, you actually entertain. But it takes a growing, authentic relationship with God. And then that stuff looks foolish, looks ridiculous. When your appetite's under control, you need a relationship with the God who created you and made you and put value and worth and love and intimacy and significance and purpose in you. That fills your appetites. You'll be satiated. 
That's how you do it. That's why we say, hey, come here. You know, connect. Get involved. Get into his word. In fact, here's another thing. If you think you're going to be satiated by one spiritual meal a week, like a sermon and one worship set, if you think it's going to carry you through the week, you're ridiculous. You might be okay for I'll give you today. I'll give you today. But by Wednesday, if you don't have any other input, if you're not reading the word or talking to God or connecting with some other believers or encouraging you and challenging you and holding you accountable and, and loving you and praying for you, you're going to be famished. That's a ridiculous way to go around. We want you to be filled up, not famished. When you're famished, you make really bad decisions. When you're filled up, all this other nonsense looks ridiculous. You'd never make that trade. You know it's a bad deal. But you and I, like Esau, we can make really bad decisions when our unsatisfied appetites drive our decisions. Third principle, last one for this morning. Do not sacrifice what you want most for what you want now. Do not give up what is most valuable, what is most important for what is immediate. Do not sacrifice the eternal for the temporal. And make no mistake, what most of us want most of the time is fleeting, it's temporal, it's short-lived. It does not satisfy for very long. Back to the passage. Look at, look at Esau in verse 34. <clears throat> Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank and then got up and left. Read that again. He ate and drank and got up and left. Doesn't even say he enjoyed it. I mean, how sad is that? The guy just bought the most expensive meal in history. He eats and drinks and gets up and leaves. No enjoyment. No satisfaction. It's over. You want to hear the worst part? A few hours later, he was hungry again. He wasn't satisfied. It's not one and done. That hunger comes back. And what's he going to do now? He has sacrificed everything. You know, the terrible thing is you and I do it all the time. You and I sacrifice what's most important for what's immediate. We sacrifice what we want most for what we want now. I hear it when I talk to people all the time. Here's what I hear. You know, I thought another car or home or toy would give me more pleasure, make me content. But the problem with me is I'm still not satisfied. What's wrong with me? Or I thought when I became manager or vice president or partner or owner that this restlessness to achieve would go away. But I'm still looking for more. I thought if I only could get that woman or get that man or make that conquest or get that next relationship, it would be different. That the ache in my soul would go away. But the truth is, I am still lonely. I am still insecure. There is something damaged inside me because I am still not satisfied. I hear it all the time. See, our thinking is so clear when it's someone else. But when it's our appetites driving our decision, our judgment is bad. We've already established that. You know what's terrible? This account, this whole story would have been totally different if Esau had one friend. Think about it. If Esau had one hunting buddy, one guy to step in and say, Esau, don't do it. 
It's a ridiculous trade. Don't be foolish. Sacrifice your inheritance for a bowl of beans? Forget it. We'll find some food. I'm not going to let you make that trade. That's ridiculous. Come on. You're not thinking straight. He needed a friend, though, to say that. He needed a friend to step in and say, hey, your judgment's off here, my friend. But stick with me. I'm not going to let you do it. Here's my question. You got a friend like that? You make the same ridiculous decisions. You better have a friend like that. You know why? You risk your future. You, you risk your legacy. You risk everything if you don't have someone to step in and say, don't do it. This is ludicrous. This is a mistake. Because I'm here to tell you, your judgment is off when your appetite is unsatisfied. You need a friend who can stand off and say, no way, man. I'm not going to go there. Maybe equally important is this. Are you that friend to someone? I need someone like that. You, everyone in here needs someone like that. Can, are you that person for someone else? I mean, come on. We're the body of Christ. You, you need someone to step in and say, you need to be that person to say, don't do it. I'm uh-huh. here for you. I'll pray for you. I'll hang out with you. But I'm not like, going to let you go there. That internet stuff is death to you. You toying with that other relationship is ridiculous. Don't give up what you want most for what you want now. That's foolish. You're not thinking straight. We all need someone like that. That's, that's imperative. You need to be one of those. You need to get one of those. You need to learn from Esau here. I'm here to tell you now, too. I'm going to remind you that you have an inheritance. You have a birthright. Every follower of Jesus. I, he's told us that we have an inheritance that will not perish, spoil, or fade. Reserved for us and kept in heaven for us. Shielded by God's power. That's what the word says. Even better, we have every spiritual blessing in Christ right now. He says you can draw your inheritance right now. I give it to you. You know what Jesus says in John 14? He says, I give you peace. I leave you peace. I leave it and the world can't take it away. It's yours. And you know what you and I do? We take his peace and we trade it for a bowl of worry. We trade it for a bowl of anxiety. How's that working for you? Is that ridiculous or what? Peace for worry? And we do it all the time. Jesus says, I give you joy. I put my joy inside you. My spirit lives in you. You have my joy. You and I, without thinking, when our appetites are raging, you know what we do? We take his joy and we trade it for complaining and grumbling. What are you thinking? Come on, we're, we're crazy. Jesus says, I, I give you my love. I've put my love inside you. In fact, I put my love inside you so you can love others. And you know what you and I do? Because our appetite, our hunger is so great that we'll take his love and we will put it to the side. We'll trade it so we can be first. We can be greatest. We can be right. That's what we do. That's the trade we make. Ridiculous. Jesus says, do not trade what I have given you for these ridiculous appetites of yours. You know what he says? Jesus tells all who follow him this. He says, I give you strength, power, faith, forgiveness, contentment, purpose, impact, integrity, a witness, a legacy. Do not trade it.
He says, do not trade it for what the world has to offer. This is lasting. What they give you does not last. You know what he says? He says, I am enough. And I'm here to tell you he's true. Christ is enough for you. Christ is all you need. He is enough. Do not trade what he's given you for what the world offers you. It would be a big mistake. And maybe to drive it home, we need to sing about it right now. Let's sing about it.